Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. That's your cue. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, hello. Uh, sorry, this isn't my podcast, so I don't normally get to do these things. Hi, I'm the guest today, Shivam Bhatt. Nice to meet you. So, Shivam, uh, before we get started, why don't you tell everyone what you are involved in in the magic sphere, what they might know you from, <laughs> and where to find you? <laughs> Hopefully for good things. That sounded well, way more threatening uh, than I intended. <laughs> <laughs> lordy, lordy, lordy. Um, so, yeah, uh, I am on the I am the host of a podcast called Casual Magic, which is an interview podcast that goes up every Tuesday. And uh, focusing on the uh, fun side of magic as opposed to the, uh, you know, no fun side of magic, which everybody else seems to focus on. Yeah, that, that, um, that's us. We're a no fun podcast. Well, you guys are far more in alignment with me than I think we are with, say, I don't know, Ben S or like, uh, yeah. you know, one of those weirdo like <laughs> learn how to do the best historic standard event for the next three drafts you do. And like, uh, sure. I play cards because they're pretty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the other thing is I am also on the commander advisory group, which means I'm one of about 10 people who gets to tell uh, the people on the rules committee what they should and shouldn't be doing regarding commander, and they get to disregard me at their leisure. <laughs> um, but I'm also sort of a liaison between uh, the rules committee and the general public, which means that uh, you can find me on Twitter all the time. And uh, chances are you will just be mad at me because I banned your deck out from underneath you, even though I didn't ban it. And I probably don't even know what your deck is, but <laughs> I, I once saw Shivam look sideways at one of my favorite cards. And the next thing I knew it was banned. And it was it was the worst. It was the worst. Dude, you say that jokingly, but <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but right after Paradox Engine was banned, I was talking to people and they're like, why would you ban Paradox Engine? It was like, you know, super do nothing card or whatever. And there's so many worse cards. No, and there's so many worse cards. I'm like, yeah, which worse cards? Like, well, I'm not going to tell you because you'll ban them. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> As someone who had multiple paradox engines, one of them being foil and fancy, it was the right call. And I know you had nothing to do with it. And I feel nothing but sorrow for your Twitter mentions any day <laughs> a ban. Oh my out. god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 braver than the rest of us. Spe yeah. Speaking speaking of Twitter, if if you would like to share your uh, Twitter at so people can find you and talk about oh. magic, multiple. Well, uh, yes, I am. Uh, you can find me at Girapuri Gears. Um, I'm sure you guys will throw that into your notes or something, or not. I mean, if you just look up Shivam and Magic, there's really just me. You will find me. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> just don't misspell it as Shivan. Um, okay. <laughs> so you sure did, buddy. You sure did. All right. You swear I don't record a podcast every week and I'm like totally new to this or something. <laughs> so we invited you on the show today because you had some really excellent D&D uh, &D deep lore threads. I mean, we invited you because you're great. But, yeah. Uh, we, for this specific podcast. Uh, because there were you had some really great D and D deep lore um, threads that you put together that I was reading through that was just insane <laughs> how certain things got to a certain point, um, and I think the one we wanted to start with is the saga of the giant space hamster. Uh. So a, a little bit of explanation is uh, the character Minsk has a uh, is a ranger who has a companion that is a 
uh, he calls a miniature giant space hamster. So it's regular hamster size uh, named Boo. But where did the origin of that joke come from? Well, this uh, is one of my favorite stories, frankly, because um, I don't know if you noticed, but when I was writing that thread of which I'm going to summarize here, I took a detour into the entire history of Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Uh, because sometimes in order to describe a loaf of bread, you must create the universe. Um, So in the 90s, when D&D was in second edition still, but it was just hitting a new resurgence, there was a game that came out called Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate was not the first D&D PC game, but it was the best of the most recent kind of PC games. As in like older D&D PC games had been more text-based, more like rudimentary graphics, I mean, they were very good stories, like Eye of the Beholder and things like that, but they were not, like, publicly huge games. But then, um, in the 90s, we got, like, Diablo, and we got all of these other kind of isometric third-person view games, and someone said, hey, you know what would be really good for an isometric third-person action RPG? D&D. And everyone's like, D&D? Why would you? Okay, well, I guess. Because people, by that point, had kind of written D&D off as, like, this thing that was just a nerd fad that really was of the 70s and early 80s and not really a thing in the 90s. But um, so Baldur's Gate is this game that comes out and it's so absolutely true to the second edition rule set that people are learning how to play D&D from the game. And they, you know, they go back and they discover D&D and, you know, start to fall in love with it. But the whole point of this game, though, you're a character, you design your character as a the hero, you pick a class and a race and whatever. And through the game, you pick up NPCs. And these NPCs come and help you delve through the story, go through this area of the Forgotten Realms, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You're doing things. One of these characters that you find is this really kind of, it's this like ranger character who's got a very low wisdom and intelligence score, but uh, he's just got like a script that gives him a heart of gold and this weird, cool, like kind of purple, like patch on his face. And this dude's name is Minsk. And normally you'd be like, well, whatever, it's just a random NPC. But Minsk, as you mentioned, and as this card mentioned, has this pet called Boo. Boo is a tiny little hamster. And he, when you have him in your like party and you're like fighting, because, you know, in D&D, rangers have animal companions. And sometimes. And like Trizza has Guinevar. And so Minsk has his animal companion, Boo, a miniature giant space hamster. And there's so much wrapped up into those four words right there. (laughs) But the idea is so crazy because like when you're sitting there playing this game, you're like, what? This guy's throwing a hamster at bad guys? What the hell is going on? And he would say things like, go for the eyes, boo. (laughs) And like all of these other just absolutely like bananas uh, quotes. Yeah. uh, Small introduction. Shout out to the writers of that game and also voice actor Jim Cummings, who who voices Minsk, who is just legendary in the field and just crushes that role so good. It really makes that character come alive in that game. Like, I mean, he says nonsense like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Watch it. I'm huge. And like, (laughs) evil round every corner. Careful not to step in any. Oh, Minsk, oh, Minsk, oh, Minsk. <laughs> like this guy is just like he's so delightful and just complete joy of a character and it's one of those things where back if twitter had existed back then this would be one of these people like i have only just met him but i love him and i will kill any of you who hurt him type of thing 
you know, like boo, like Minskin Boo basically became instantaneous, uh-huh. like memes. Instant. I mean, they're almost like the cake is a lie level knowledge in pop culture of just like the. I mean, I dare say that beyond things like Drizzt or Raceland, Minsk is probably one of the most famous D and D characters in the world. Uh, and, he, he he was the most asked for character as in what once the set got announced and I was kind of lurking around uh, the internet seeing what people wanted out of the set. He was the most asked for character. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, because the fact that it's Minsk and it's like. You know, I don't even like the Forgotten Realms. I don't <laughs> at all. I mean, I know them because I know them because I'm that nerd. But <laughs> I, but Minsk, Minsk and Boo had to be there. It's like saying like, well, we are, we're going to do a realm set and not have Drist in it. Like, are you, it's like saying, you know, we're going to do a Dominaria set and not have Urza or something or like some callback to Urza. Like mm-hmm. Minsk is just one of those things where it's like, oh, you got to have Minsk. And everybody's like, what do you, why, what, what the hell is Minsk? But the people who know, know, right? <laughs> like, so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what this gimmick is and what a giant space hamster is and why that is funny as heck. Because I did not expect to see Boo show up in Magic because Boo is a hamster. Hamster is not a supported creature type in Magic until it is now. now. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. Now, now he's up there with Noggles for the tribe that I desperately need to have uh, supported more. But... um so you've got this dude in Minsk, and he's got a giant space hamster. Now, let's talk a little bit about what a giant space hamster is. Um, I'm not going to reiterate my entire thread, but effectively what has happened here is in the early 80s, there was an attempt in Wizards of the Coast, or not Wizards, in TSR, to try to find a way to unify these um, different campaign settings that they had to give people a way to fly from one to another to um, you know, be able to kind of bring their characters from Toril to the uh, to Kryn to like you know Dark Sun or whatever, and they had the planar system that was there, which was like the Great Wheel with like Elysium and the Abyss and the Hells and like uh, the concordant opposition in the middle and all these things, but that wasn't really a cohesive kind of. I mean, it was cohesive, but it was kind of weird, and so they decided. Jeff Grubb, who is one of my favorite designers of all time, uh, who is responsible for creating both like the pantheons of Forgotten Realms and of Dragonlance, among other things, he was sitting there like, okay, well, I wrote the Manual of the Plains, and, um, but we have this problem where everybody's like, oh no, D&D's got devils and demons, and we need to kind of back away from the whole demonic scare of like Satanism. How can we have people cross around the plains without having them go through where the devils, demons, and angels are? So he went and was looking around for other things to do and stumbled upon the notion of uh, like old pulp based, like kind of pirate adventures, like from the 1920s and 30s. Like like Flash Gordon. Yeah, Flash Gordon. Exactly. Or like um, the Mars books or any of those old, like early 50s kind of like sci-fi novels, because the tropes that you found are like, you know, human goes to a foreign planet and discovers like hot alien women and, you know, weird spaceships. (laughs) But also, it's like swashbuckling pirates, right? Like Errol Flynn type of things. And he was like, you know what D&D hasn't done that would be really cool? Swashbuckling pirates. You know what else we need? A way to cross the plains. You know what would be awesome? If we had swashbuckling pirates in space. (laughs) He was not wrong. He was absolutely not wrong about this. Like, it would be awesome to have swashbuckling pirates in space. But how do you make buckles swash with D&D characters? Right? Like, it's really weird and really hard to do. 
And he created this notion of this, like, he went back to, like, old Greek kind of notions of space and used this stuff called phlogiston, which is this flammable gas that makes up space, and created these things called crystal spheres. Not spheres, but spheres, which are, like, orbs within which each plane resides. So, like, crin space and toral space and gray space. These are different planes that you can go between. They're, like, floating within the universe of phlogiston. And now, how do you go between these? Well, you've got to get, like, pirate ships. You build the gummy <laughs> ship. Yeah, I've played Kingdom exactly. Hearts. <laughs> exactly Kingdom Hearts, yes. The idea here is that um, we have these pirate ships that are called spell jammers that have these things called spell jamming helms that you then use to, like, go between space. It's sort of like weatherlight, actually. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like the space weatherlight. But, like, um, so they're able to go between these planes and there's like illithids, the giant like you know squid beasts who control minds. They're floating around these giant nautilid-shaped uh, space things. And there's the gif, the giant hippo uh, like people who go around that look like Napoleonic blunderbusses and all that. <laughs> uh, I love them. And like the githyanki and the githzerai, and just different races and stuff. And he was like, yeah, but you know what else would be cool? We need to find something from Kryn to bring onto here. Now Kryn Dragonlance is different from the rest of D and D. Because Dragonlance has decided a long time ago that it wanted to have no orcs, no beholders, no mind flayers. Like, it wanted to be fundamentally different way of looking at D&D, and it wanted to seal itself off. Its pantheon was closed. It didn't have any room for other things. But they're like, yeah, but players want to cross the border, so we're going to have to find a way. Well, in the Dragonlance days, when Jeff Grubb was working on that, they were looking at the races of D&D and trying to figure out what can we do, what can we put in here that would be different. And one of the things they came up with was Kender, which are the like sort of innocent childlike versions of halflings. They don't steal because of profit. They steal because they think it's pretty. Like imagine an entire race of ADHD, absent-minded, like kleptomaniacs um, who are just happy and joyful. <laughs> yes. Like it's just joyful, happy people. Right. And then they were like, yeah, okay, well, what else do we got? We got gnomes. What do gnomes do in D&D? They talk to badgers. That sucks. Let's not do that. Um, so they're like, you know what? I was an engineer once, and frazzled, crazy engineers whose stuff is over-designed and doesn't work is hilarious. So let's make that. And so they created the Tinker Gnomes in Dragonlance, who are basically frazzled, over-designing engineers who try <laughs> to build, like, you know, a toothpick and end up with a tank that also makes toast. And <laughs> they also are so excited that they cannot put breaks in their words. So they talk a whole sentence like this without stopping once or even for taking a breath. And yeah, it's- big deal, so do I. Yeah, exactly. It's literally, imagine a bunch of ADHD engineers and you've got that. Like, I don't know if Jeff Grubb was trying to tell tell us something subtly about himself, but uh, here we are. Um, But he was like, hey, wouldn't wouldn't it be cool if we took these tinker gnomes who make inventions that are just ridiculous and find a way to get them into space? And what he ended up doing was he took this and said, okay, if I was a gnome and I wanted to get to space, how would I do that? Gnomes in D&D at that time could not use magic. So they couldn't use spell jamming helms because spell jammer helms were basically uh, magic based. You needed to be a wizard or like a high level psionicist to be able to use it. Gnomes don't do that. So they're like, okay, well, we need to get to space. What's a good way to get an engine to move? And one of them's like, hey, you know what? This wheel in my hamster's cage is running around and moving in circles. Oh, no. Why don't we just get a bunch <laughs> of hamster wheels and make that work? Okay, but the hamsters are really small, though. Okay, well, let's uh, breed a bunch of bear-sized hamsters. And they're like, what? And so they did. They went and bred a whole bunch of bear-sized hamsters. 
made them run to get well first actually they were like okay we're gonna make gigantic wheels and they're like let's try to get gnomes to run in them the gnomes would run some of them would get tired and fall out and get squunched by the gears or squunched by the wheel and they're like this is probably bad for morale uh, and we don't really have enough staff to just keep refilling our hamster wheel of doom so they're like let's go grab some uh hamsters and try to make this work and so they bred they bred these gigantic huge rodents huge giant space hamsters that were able to run and you know make this thing go in space breathe survive and just get their way around all over the different planes and so the gnomes would go in these giant hamster wheel driven like paddle boats basically they look like ferries that would go up and down the mississippi <laughs> river but run run by hamsters and they ended up going to places like toril and places like um earth and stuff and leaving these hamsters off there and uh they hamsters being gigantic were also a great source of food and this is canonical this is in the Spelljammer monster manual for uh the miniature giant space hamsters uh they create a food source called space hamster meat or spaham. Oh. <laughs> oh, <no>. And <laughs> see, and it's, and it's here where I want to say there are people out there who think D and D is serious and needs to be taken seriously. And I'm like, I just, I, I'm sorry, you can. It's very hard to come up homebrew something sillier than the stuff that just already exists in published right? material. D and D is such a. I mean. Whenever I people look at people who are tryhards and just trying to get real, real serious with D and D, it makes me mad because, like, this is—I mean, mind you—these people were also mad when Tinker Gnomes and Kendra showed up because they're <laughs> sure. like, "How dare you taint my serious, dramatic flair for story with uh, engineers that make giant space hamsters, the harnessed astro- astronomical mammalian semi-sentient transport enabling rodents, the hamsters." Um, yeah. But um, basically what happened is, so these giant space hamsters and Spelljammer became a thing. They flew around all over the place. Now, Forgotten Realms is one of these kind of settings that if you add something to it, it stays there forever. Uh-huh. Like Forgotten Realms is like the catch-all kind of garbage shoot setting, which will just take everything anybody puts in there happily. I, so I, I get the vibe that it's like kind of like D&D's Dominaria in that way. Yes, very much so. Very much so. In the sense of like, hey, you know what? We need to have this new race called Dragonborn show up. Okay, well, now they're Dragonborn on on, on Farron. Where do they come from? Oh, we'll patch it in in post. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like every time the additions have changed for D&D and the rule sets have changed, uh, F- Forgotten Realms has gone through like a time of troubles where the gods all die or yep. where like, you know, a different Stop time playing. where suddenly magic is different and everything changed. And because the systems have been so fundamentally different, it's just been wild to watch these people be like, oh, all your stuff doesn't work now, but we gave you a canonical reason why, yay. So um, basically what happens is that there's these giant space hamsters and they can also be bred smaller to be pets. Miniature giant space hamsters, as it were. (laughs) Because, you know, (laughs) because miniature giant space hamsters, that's why. And suddenly, so this dude Boo ends up with these, uh, um, he's got this mini, he's got this hamster he's walking around with. We don't know if it's a real space hamster or not, but we know that he believes it is. And he sits there and he's like, this is Boo. This is my miniature giant space hamster. Uh, isn't that just a hamster? Shut up, it's a miniature giant <laughs> space hamster. Uh, okay. 
if you if you want, and suddenly we have a major giant space camp. I can't even say that every time without laughing. I swear to God, um, it's utterly ridiculous. And like, I love it. I love it. it just so it much. works so great. It goes. It works so great without any knowledge of like this whole backstory. Uh-huh. Oh like, yeah, you don't need any of this. Minsk Minsk's whole thing is that he is silly and ridiculous, but also heroic. And uh, like, I yeah, I I had no idea about any of this history until I saw your thread, and I'm like, oh, yeah. oh like giant space hamsters are real. They're actually a thing. <laughs> I mean, for certain values of real, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I had never finished the first Baldur's Gate, but, like, instantly fell in love with Minsk and Boo. Uh, absolutely wonderful characters, and now my Baldur's Gate character is in a magic set, and that's weird. Speaking of which, if, if anyone is uh, wondering about this Baldur's Gate game, there is an enhanced edition that you can get on Steam, and there's also a Switch version yeah. that actually plays very well. I'm playing through the story mode in that right now, because... God help me, AD and D. It is. Um, uh, it's it's a bundle pack. It is uh, Baldur's Gate Thacko. one and two, and all yeah. it's everything released with the first two Baldur's Gate games. I actually, farm my own CDs for those, but now I have to figure out if they actually work on my new computer. Does your computer have a CD slot? It does because I built it myself. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, it's you great. you mentioned someone uh, I I wanted to bring back because he he has also had a, a big effect on some some. Uh, magic characters so jeff grubb also wrote a number of magic novels uh he created one of you well sort of created one of your favorite characters and uh definitely created one of my, one of mine because he wrote the um the brothers war novel uh which was the second iteration of the brothers war story um because there were some comics before that before the comic uh, uh before the um Acclaimed comics got uh, discontinued. Armada. Uh, and he also, thank you. Well, they're by Acclaim, but yeah, the Armada imprint. Um, and he also wrote the Ice Age novels, uh, which are my favorite novels in Magic. Uh, so, you know, and your your favorite character is? Uh, Felden. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if he's my favorite character, but he's definitely one of my favorite One characters. of them. And uh, you, You've cosplayed him, yeah. Yeah, well, that was that was accidental, but it was also great. Uh, <laughs> it's it's actually one of our emotes in the server as well. Is you, it my angry face? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Face. I don't know. Olivia made that into an emote, and it's shown up like in random places now. And it's just disappointed <laughs> achievement face is like hilarious to me that that's now just a thing. Um, but yeah, no, like Jeff Grubb was one of the guys who wrote like a lot of the early lore, I mean, early novels of of magic. After he wrote Dragonlance novels and Forgotten Realms novels and Spelljammer and everything else. And I'm like, this guy is like the most prolific uh, game designer you've never heard of. And, oh, yeah. He's written um, Star Wars, too. Yeah. He's like one of my favorite people. I got to meet him um, and like, you know, early on in like, I think when in 2000, when third edition came out, uh, I got to meet Jeff Grubb and his wife, Kate, uh, at um, Gen Con. And I got them to sign my PHP. And also, because we've known each other from Dragonlance for years, he wrote my favorite novel, Lord Toad. Uh, but yeah, it's great. He's super good. It's uh, like, I have so much respect and appreciation for all the things he's done because he's made great things. Like the story, the short story about Felden is such a good story. Oh, it's yeah. It's such Lauren a good smile. story. And yeah, it, that is, for anyone looking for it, we'll link to it uh, in the show, in the um, in the Twitter and then in the show notes because uh, it's available online. It was originally part of an anthology. Yeah. It is it, it, it is amazing. It's a great story about grief, but also going through like the metaphysics of magic as well. Yeah. It's like it, one of those things where when you read this story, you're like, oh, 
if I just give this to somebody and say, hey, you will understand the colors of magic by reading this, you will. Like, it really does just actively, like, explain, like, how would the different colors approach this problem? And I love that. I think that is super cool. It's much um, better than reading Wayfarer, another one of the Armada comics. It's uh, <laughs> one of the shakier entries in, in that whole series. <laughs> we've, we've, we've had our very sci-filled discussion of those comics already. Though. Uh, 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 so I have, another, I have another question for you. This another about another card from the set. Uh, what is the orb of dragon kind? The orb of dragon kind. I mean, well, it sounds pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it, it's a, <laughs> it's an orb uh, of dragons. Um, what it is actually is disappointing, um, because <laughs> as a Dragonlance fan, I expected my dragon orbs to be amazing, but I forgot that the generic D and D orbs of dragon kind suck. Um, so basically, what it is is that, um, which actually it's kind of weird, because the orbs of dragon kind came from Dragonlance. And then became a thing more generically into D&D. And the idea is that, oh God, that's a very Morrowism right there. The idea is, if you've ever listened to Morrow's podcast, then you know that every 10 seconds he'll be like, and the idea is, and the idea is, and it's just so annoying. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was me. That was, that was me going off on a tangent. Um, listen to my podcast, everyone. It's great. Uh, so the Orbs of Dragonkind. In Magic, they're weird. They don't, they like just kind of give you extra mana. Um, let me pull that up so I can read it exactly. But the, the point, the, the thing that the artifact does in Dragonlance, there were five of these orbs. They were created by the wizards of high sorcery. They use the essence of each of the chromatic dragons inside as kind of the spirit. And what it's supposed to do is, okay, so give you a rough, uh, like a rough, like Dragonlance history here. In Dragonlance, the whole premise is Bahamut and Tiamat are the two gods. Bahamut's called Paladine, Tiamat's called Tachesis. It's the good, the god of good dragons and the god of evil dragons, and they're having this endless war. And every now and then, Tachesis wakes up, comes back with her dragons and attacks everybody and destroys everything and levels of things. And the good guys fight and they bring hope back and it's great and wonderful until the next time. Um, so in one of these wars, the a wizard of high sorcery got together and they were like losing badly against the, um, the dragons like dragon lances didn't exist yet. Uh, the elves had been obliterated and these guys were like, okay, we need to take the last step. So they took these orbs that were created by killing a chromatic dragon, taking its spirit and combining it with a bunch of like clerical and arcane magic to create this orb, which they then put in the five towers of high sorcery, which were like the locuses of magic on dragon lance. And what they did is that they could use these orbs to lure the dragons to come to them sort of under a mind control compulsion. Also, uh, like they would be unable to escape. So you could lure these dragons to come in. They would get, get attacked on the side by like knights with dragon lances or by people with weapons or some kind of thing while these dragons are distracted. They also would let you do things like, you know, see into the uh, distance or like teleport or use insane amounts of power it's like some of the greatest artifacts in the history of like Dragonlance. like they're they're those artifacts where when you look in the dmg it says up to the dm's discretion what the powers of this are because it's so powerful that putting words to it would kind of just lessen the value of what they do these are basically meant to be kind of like the MacGuffin style like once you have the dragon orb you have won the adventure type of campaign thing um, but it's like in fifth edition, for instance, it, like it does a bunch of minor spells, like, you know, cures you or lets you scry or lets you get light. 
But the key is that it can attract dragons. It can compel them. It can force them not to attack you. You can control them and use them to attack other things. You can compel them against their will. It's uh, incredibly powerful. But it draws a huge, like, um, it takes a huge cost from the caster. Because you're in a battle of wills against the dragon orb itself. Because the dragon orb can just control you and compel you and then do what it wants to do. Which is one of the big plot, plot points of Dragonlance. Is that, you know, the weak king Lorak took the dragon orb and tried to use it to protect his people. And instead created this psychotic nightmare dream. Which sent the entire elven nation into this, like, permanent fever dream of where they couldn't get out of. Yeah, and it happens. It's wild. It's amazing. And then, like, we got them in, like, the magic set, and I was so excited. And then it's like, um, well, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it gives you it gives you mana. That's cool. And it lets you summon a dragon, so I guess it's right. Like, I don't know what they could have done to the Orb of Dragonkind that would have made me be, like, stoked about it. Because I'm short of, like, tap this to take control of your opponent's dragons would be awesome. But I think that's, like, already a legend. So hey, It's Karthus, who's my... Yeah. One of my command, who's my Jund commander, yeah. Yeah, Karthus of Jund is uh, pretty good. Very so, good, actually. So, I'm a little curious. You you talked about how the card is a little disappointing. Is there a card in AFR that you think is, like, really perfect on the nose? Gelatinous like, Cube. Gelatinous, Gelatinous yes. Cube <laughs> is 100% the most perfectly designed magic card in the history of magic cards. It is exact. I sure, okay, there's one thing it could have been added. If they had said, like... It's like hexproof or invisible or something until you attack it or until it attacks you. That would have been perfect. Could have had flash. Yeah, well, because not flash, but it's more like you can't interact with it until you run into it, right? Like, because I do you know the story of gelatinous cube, Jay? Do you know why uh, gelatinous cubes are awesome? I, I I know what a gelatinous cube is and what it does. Yeah, I, I don't know like the history of gelatinous. Cube. <laughs> How dare! You invite me on this podcast and you don't even know cube. Well, you start with a uh, bowl and, and you have you. water and gelatin mix. Uh. Yeah. Like when you're doing body shots with ice, uh, you fill it with the gel. Yeah. No. So basically, the idea here is that if you have ever looked at a Dungeons and Dragons map, a Dungeons and Dragons map in 1973, what would you see? Out of corners. Right. You would see somebody taking their math homework, the graph paper, drawing dungeons on it. Now, you know what would be uh, so, super so, uh, scary? In, interject, our, our dungeon cards with this set are made using D&D map assets. Uh, so if you if you look at the dungeon cards, they also have this, this same kind of design. You know, I did look for like oversized graph paper when I was playing, uh, I think it was the Star Wars RPG, which was at the time um, three, three third edition uh, mm. D&D rules. So yes. I do. I, OK, I am familiar with that part at least. Okay, so basically the idea here is that when you're in a dungeon and you're exploring and you're making your map on your grid and stuff, you're going to be walking around with your torches and your like 10-foot ropes, and, uh, your 10-foot pole, your 50-foot rope, and you're delving through there. And if you're not cautious, you might just advance a square on the grid and run headfirst into a giant transparent cube that happens to take up the exact dimensions of that graph paper square <laughs> and it will absorb you and then you get sucked in and slowly dissolved by the acid inside sort of like a sarlacc stomach and it is amazing it is perfect like and when you kill a gelatin cube you get like all the random armor and stuff that has been eating over the thousands of years um, but here in magic this gelatinous cube comes in exiles a creature and then you can eat it 
And I was listening to like Marshall Sutcliffe talk about this on um, la- on limited resources, and he's like, "Why does it do that?" And I'm like, "Oh, you child! This is why this <laughs> card is perfect because this perfect this this card dissolve it. It's a gelatinous cube. It traps you and then dissolves you. It is absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Now I, uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining showing up to you know in the event that we ever get like you know GPS or whatever or some big magic event type thing back uh when uh in in the hopeful futures uh just show up with uh get uh eight people together show up with uh 360 cards and say hey anyone want to draft my cube and just have it be 360 (laughs) copies of gelatinous cube (laughs) (laughs) it'd be great to do at least once oh man gotta throw in some doubling cubes in there too no no just gelatinous cube that way you trap them into the draft and they're all cheaty face on the backside, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. This set did almost everything perfectly, um, like just stone perfectly. But there were a few like big. I mean, even Tiamat. Tiamat makes me so happy. She shows up and she brings five different dragons. That is exactly what I want to see. I want to see her bring all five chromatic dragons to the table and then just like you know use them to attack. And I want to get like somebody to alter this into Takisa so that I can have my dragonlet set. <laughs> give it to me you, you know i feel like it's not it's not that much work to alter tiamat into takesis they're uh... not not too much no. <laughs> it's it's rather i mean what with them being identical it's not too hard <laughs> but it's the principle of the thing it's a give it time like i think that we're due for another D set in the near future right right i think that this set came out like four days ago <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's i mean it's wild because we're all like you know arena and pre-release and previews until we think oh this set's been out for a million years no dude it's been out for like a weekend i don't know what y'all talking <laughs> oh, about yeah. after this I podcast we're already set. going i was done with this set last year <laughs> yeah we're already back in innistrad right after this episode yeah we're back into it we're, we're getting ready for innistrad <laughs> oh, yes. i want to uh, say this is like our fifth episode about afr yeah we have talked a lot fine. about this does we it's talk wild, about magic like, sets I mean, yeah, like I'm planning on telling stories on my podcast for this, on other people's podcasts. I'm, I, my goal is to not repeat stories, so it's like, mm, how can I, how can I do this? But I'm um, glad we st- we stole the giant space hamsters then. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, uh, other podcasts. I, I do want to interject before we leave gelatinous cubes. Uh, we do have a comment from uh, our live list, and I once found a 3D printer file of a gelatinous cube mini that had a lid, so you could put the other characters' minis inside of it. Yes. That's, fan- that's fantastic. Yes. I love I that. I need to print that. That's outstanding. You know what I used to use? I used to use sugar cubes. Uh. <laughs> like, we would just use, like, straight-up sugar cubes as the, um, like, back before we had all these fancy res- resins and 3Ds and nonsense like that. No, we had to be, like, you could use a D6 or you could use a sugar cube or any number of things. But I love it. I mean, dungeon crawling has fallen out of favor. I understand that. It's not the thing anymore. But I secretly really, really love dungeon crawling. Like, I love the idea of adventuring deep in the dank dark, like getting treasures, fighting monsters, all that sort of thing. I understand that that is not um, the way we should do it anymore. I think that, like, D&D and culture has definitely moved beyond that. And we shouldn't just have, like, faceless enemies. That's really cruel and people can use that in the wrong way. But at the same time, it's real, real fun to feel strong. Like, that's what I played D&D for, right? Like, to so I could feel strong and brave and all the things I didn't get to... And white, you know, right? Like, it, it's like <laughs> you, you, you adventure to the point where you get that like 
end game stage of a Zelda game where you have all your equipment and you like go back to an early area and just laugh at all the weaklings around you now. Right. Um, you, you can achieve that in, in D&D. <laughs> okay, you know what the biggest flavor fail was? It wasn't Ever- Orb of Dragon Kind. Well, no, not the Orb of Dragon Kind was fine. It's like, it's that's not a flavor fail. That's just like a, I wish this did more, right? Like, it's like, ah, it's such a powerful card, but it's like, nah, I get it exists. I'm happy it exists. Like, but the one that makes me mad is that Portable Hole does not have trinket text on it that says, if you use Portable Hole on a bag of holding, <laughs> both players lose the game and everybody's shunted to a different dimension. <laughs> if, if it gets exiled somehow, yeah. everything takes damage or something. Like, because the whole gimmick is that if, so Bag of Holding and um, Portable Hole are two of the most like iconic D&D items, right? And, and th- what Bag do, of Holding create... so iconic, we got it in Magic years ago. Yeah, um, was it years ago? Wasn't it like just M twenty or M nineteen? That would that be years ago. <laughs> Time has no meaning. Yeah, <laughs> it's fake. Yeah, like um, basically, the idea here is that these were both creating extra dimensional spaces. So, like, you're create inside of your portable hole or your bag of holding, you can put gigantic things in there. They hold way more on the inside than they do on the outside. They're sort of like the TARDIS, just hanging onto your belt. Now, the problem is someone in the 1970s was like, hey, man, what would happen if I put my extra dimensional space into my other extra dimensional space? And so the D&D guys sat there and were like, what would happen? Like, we don't want you to just be able to chain, like, you know, storage. These aren't shulker boxes that you can just put inside of shulker boxes like in Minecraft. This is just meant to be like, like, you got to make a choice. Like, the portable hole, by the way, is the most Bugs Bunny device ever. Like, you yes. literally pull this thing out of your pocket, unwrap it, and stick it on the wall, and it's a gigantic hole that goes I mean, to the Literally, room. who framed Roger Rabbit? That's the one I was thinking <laughs> of. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Like, there's that whole thing. It is exactly that. It's like, or even just um, Roadrunner cartoons, mm-hmm. where there's, yep. a like, a door painted on the wall that Roadrunner goes through, and then he slams into the wall, you know? Um, the idea of these two items... They figured out that if you put an extra dimensional space into another one, then the hole, the bag, and any creatures within a 10-foot radius are basically uh, drawn into the astral plane or like some negative plane or some other plane, and then the two items are just blown up. They're like, congratulations, you made a portal to somewhere. Bye. (laughs) It's so good. Um, It makes me real happy. I love that rule because it's like, there was a comic that came out in uh there's a comic series i think it might even still be going called night to the dinner table it was popular in the late 90s and early 2000s and yeah i remember uh, that one of the things it had was early on they had this whole sub adventure arc of that went for like a year or something of these guys going into the portable hole uh, bag of holding like realm and like you know exploring it because it, it's one of these like legendary things in D that is just really really cool Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool to have this like it, this trinket text lead to so many neat adventures. I love that. I love when trinket text leads to like new development. Um, that's I think why I loved these cards in AFR that are all the you do blah and blah and blah. Mm-hmm. Like you hear something on watch, rouse a party, or set off traps. Like I love that. I love that feeling that from magic I'm getting this feeling of being able to uh, play D and D. Because, like, I started playing Magic the second time. Okay, so I started playing Magic the first time because I'd been a hardcore Dragonlance D&D fan, and in 7th or 8th grade, I couldn't find any D&D players. But I saw kids playing Magic, and they're like, I cast Fireball at your dragon. I'm like, that sounds like D&D. I want to know what this is. (laughs) And then the second time I came back to Magic was because Dragonlance, my setting, 
had like I had to play D and D all through college and other card games, but I'd paid attention to Magic but not played it. Um because I was I don't know why. Um but it happens. Dragonlance was uh wound down as a setting. We had like they ended it, the last books were written. I went to Gen Con and gave a forty five minute long speech on behalf of fandom for Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman because uh of what it meant to be Dragonlance. And um because I'm that guy. Like even today, as of day of recording, uh, somebody asked Margaret Rice a question about a Dragonlance thing, and Margaret was like, "Jeevan," and I'm like, "All right, well. like she'll be at cons back when we had cons, and she would call me and say like, uh, there's somebody here at the floor who's trying to buy a book from me that wants me to sign it. Who's asking me a Dragonlance question? Can you answer this for me right now?" And I'll be like driving to work, and I'm like, "Yes, Margaret, Raceland has golden eyes because they're the eyes of Alana." Blah 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 blah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, so Dragonlance died and I needed something to do. So I came back to magic. So finding that magic has gone back to D&D lets me uh, close that loop in a way that just fills me with joy. Well, we're getting new Dragonlance books too, aren't we? We so. are, hopefully, <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, that's coming back, which also we got a little bit of that with uh, <sighs> the new D&D book, uh, which they named Fizzbands uh, something of dragons. I don't know. The, the moment Died the name dragons or dragon kind or something like that. <laughs> yeah, what, what, the moment the name Fizzband appeared on the book, I went, whoa, whoa, hold up. Excuse me. Yeah, what so are we doing here? Here's the thing, though, right? Like, did, there's going to be Dragonlance novels coming out. I don't know how they're going to be related to the Dragonlance game product, but I know that in D&D proper, even in 5th edition, they have come back to treating Dragonlance as a property that exists as part of D&D. So it's cool because then they're like, we have cool characters and cool stuff from these worlds. Let's use them. And I appreciate that because like in third and fourth edition, their ethos was the only thing that matters is Faerun or Greyhawk or whatever our core setting is. And ne'er the twain shall meet. You're never going to get a Dragonlance spell in the core book. You're never going to get a Dragonlance character in the core book. But now they're like, why? Why are we doing this? We have all these characters. Let's use them. And so, like, James Wyatt, who was the creative lead of this set, right after he finished writing this set, went to write the Fizzband's Guide to Dragons, or Dragonkind, or whatever they end up calling it. And um, it's still just going to be a generic D&D dragon mon- monster manual, because it's got gem dragons, which are the psionic dragons, which are not Dragonlance at all, like, canonically not Dragonlance, because they're Spelljammer, and they're, like, weird and... Psionics is not Dragonlance, it's super trippy. But it's going to have like the rules for Draconians in it, which is Dragonlance. And Paladine is Bahamut. So like, and Fizzband is Paladine's Bahamut rather. And so that's really cool to see them kind of like looping these together. Because you know what else um, James put into these books that um, he got out of doing AFR? Dragons. He, well, yeah, but also um, <laughs> helpful. there's a, a, a white card called Dragon Disciple, which is a human monk with a gold dragon behind it. And so he turned that into a dragon-based class that's going to show up in the new Fizzband book to tie it back to uh, Forgotten Realms, uh, AFR. Nice. And because I was asking him, like, why would you make Bahamut into the Grand Master of Flowers? Like, that seems just, that's like out of character for him. And he's like, Agreed. well, historically, Bahamut in uh, D&D in, since like the olden days, and I'm talking like the Gary Gygax, like 1970s days, Bahamut used to have this thing where he would wander around the earth as a mortal or the earth, the prime material plane as a mortal. And he would have seven canaries with him, which is why there's the seven canaries in the art for a grandmaster of flowers. And these seven canaries were actually seven gold dragons that were disguised as canaries because Bahamut's a platinum dragon, but he doesn't want to have just a bunch of dragons running around with him. 
because that'll scare all the people, right? Uh, so he being the god of goodness and lawfulness and, you know, all the things that are happy and friendly, wants to be a happy, friendly guy. Mm-hmm. So that's why he picked up this um, iconic representation in Dragonlance of Fizban, a befuddled old wizard who's just always kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, memorizes the spell Fireball and uses it at weirdly inopportune moments, but is here <laughs> to remind you that you're not a bad person and that you can too can fight against evil in your own way. And it's wonderful and wholesome and I love it and it's great. And if you look at the Grand Master of Flowers, you've got this young, spunky, punkish looking dude who's just really happy in both the arts. Really K-pop happy hair. And- I love his hair. I love oh, his hair great. so much. He looks super interracial. That makes me so happy. Uh, his hair is sick. And he's just living life with his seven canaries. And that's great. Yeah, I he's want a, that. He's, a, he's the uh, platinum dragon who's literally a platinum blonde. Like, <laughs> you know what? Yes. Yes, he is. It's great. It's and, really funny working on the set because that was like a whole new thing. So I'm sitting here like... You know, trying to write arena lines and like working on the set. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean, Grandmaster of Flowers? Bombwood isn't the Grandmaster of Flowers. What's going on here? And I had yeah. to like get all this explanations about what was happening and then the things that were changing. And uh, it seems neat, though. Like, um, uh, I I like the idea of this kind of just like laid back pretty boy going around being a good bean and and uh, that, that's and cool. helping people and being nice. Yeah, and it's like. It's what we need out of our white planeswalkers, is what I'm telling you. Like, He's the goodiest two shoes that ever goodiest two. Yeah, chewed. like Gideon would love the Grandmaster of Flowers, is what I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. <laughs> like they would have been best of friends. Mm-hmm. Like Beef Slab, Boss Riquet, and Grandmaster of Flowers would make a wonderful triumvirate of people that I would love to just hang out with. Um, but what I like, though, is like, do you know the title? Do you know why he's called the Grandmaster of Flowers? I have no idea. Do you know what the Grandmaster of Flowers is? I know Brian was real mad about uh Yeah, Bahamut. I know of Grandmaster Kane, but that's... Go, go for okay. it. T- tell us that, and then we'll we'll, we'll wrap it. <laughs> so, in first edition D&D, uh, they, every level, I mean, every character class, uh, obviously, they have levels, right? You go up a level, and you gain stuff. And one of the cool flavor things that they had from OD&D forward was that each level had a title associated with it. So, like, you weren't just, like, uh, a, let me just pull it up here. Like, you weren't just a fighter, right? Like, uh, your level one fighter was called, where the heck did he go? There we go. Yeah, your level one fighter was a veteran fighter, not just a fighter. And then, like, warrior, swordsman, hero when you're level four, a swashbuckler when you're five, and a myrmidon, champion, etc. And so each of these things had, like, levels associated, level titles, which were super cool for the most part. And sometimes they were super weird. Like, the cleric ones were super weird. Because you go from, like, acolyte to adapt to priest to curate to canon to llama. Like, suddenly you go from a canon to a llama. In, like, <laughs> and, like, we change religions halfway through? What's going on? <laughs> and then, like, druids, though. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, druids sucked, though. Like, they were, like, initiate of the first circle, second circle, third circle, ninth circle. Then you're a druid at level 12. I'm like, this is stupid. But monks, though. Monks had cool ones. Like, um, the monk one is, well, there's a thief. You didn't become a thief until you became level nine, by the way. You started as a rogue. Um, and prestidigitation? God, I hate that word. Prestidigitation is a hard word to say. Um, monk. So monks had really cool ones because we were all big Kung Fu fans back in the day. And uh, they were like novice, initiate, brother, disciple, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down until you got to level 17. 
well, around like level like eight, you were the master of dragons. And then you become the master of the four winds, the master of the four seasons. And then uh, in level 18, the greatest level monk there is, is the grand master of flowers. There can only be one grand master of flowers at a time. And they are basically the most powerful monk on the plane. And it's super cool. I love that idea of like that in order to become a higher level monk, you have to go find all the other monks who are higher level than you. Because after about, um, let's see, after about seventh level, there are only three eighth level ones and then one of each level higher than that. So in order for you to level up, you have to go find and defeat in single con combat hand to hand without weapons or magic items. One of those monks who is in the levels higher than you in order to gain that person's level. So to go and to beat the Grandmaster of Flowers to become the Grandmaster of Flowers is like a gigantic campaign. And otherwise you kind of get stuck in this limbo of like 16th level waiting to try to get to become uh, the big boss until you find him. It's really cool. I love it. I can imagine some parties being like, come on, let's just find your guy. Why are you so underleveled? <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that Bahamut had to go beat up some old dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> my, my, personal, my personal take on it is more that Bahamut just went to that old dude and use him as an avatar, right? Like whoever mm. the current Grandmaster of Flowers is, Bahamut went and made an agreement with them to use them as his mortal shell. And they're like, if I, okay, we don't have time because you gave me a timer warning. So I can't <laughs> give you the entire Hindu history of Parshuram to, and tell you the entire oh, difference no, I between would, I would love fully embodied like that. avatars versus yeah, like I'm half sorry, embodied Pandaji. avatars. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. But like basically... The way I look at it is that Bahamut basically went to the last Grandmaster of Flowers, probably some old guy who was dying, and said, hey, I need to do this for a minute. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to say no to the Platinum Dragon God, so uh, good luck with that. Whoop. So there's some 17th level monk right now who just found out his boss died, who's really, <laughs> really pissed off. Because it's like, wait, what do you mean I don't get to be the Grandmaster of Flowers? What do you mean there's a dude with birds? <laughs> all he has to do is go beat up you know, Bahamut. That's like yeah. totally easy. Go ahead. I'm sure NBD, right? Like. He's just Simple. there as a 7-7 seven, seven indestructible god with a bunch of dragons. NBD, you got it. Take just fights your minimus with... containment, you'll be fine. Taking <laughs> fights with gods, now we're into to, uh, Jew the Jewish spheres of how to be religious. <laughs> so uh, clearly you can't pick one. Um, I but, love but... this set. I love this set. So with that, let's uh, let's move on to final thoughts. My, my final thought is I would love to have Shivam back on and just explain so much of the the Hindu, for lack of a better word, metaphysics. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I've been, uh, I, you know, I've been reading the um, uh, the like a, a, a kid's version of the Mahabharata. Uh, oh, God, that's a that's a that. thing. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to Arjun. Um, a kid's and, version of a war between two families that involves a lot of dead people. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's certainly interesting what they dance around. But uh, oh yeah, but you know what the thing about Hindu kid stories is that they tend to just um, they don't they don't <laughs> mess around, man. Like like when Shiva cuts the head off of his son. They're just telling you that. Oh my God! Good yeah. luck and deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 like Arjun's like, uh, why why did he cut his head off? No, he's fine. Well, he's got yeah. an elephant head now. It's okay. Ganesh it's, is okay. You know, they, they, we we fixed it and we we patched it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Put some robitussin on it. You'll be good to go. Yeah, um, I'm I'm I've I've been reading him stories of that too, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't I'm not so sure about this one. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, anyway. there's definitely been a lot of like censorship going on. <laughs> uh lorelei go ahead i don't 
I don't know if I have a plan. It's too hot. I hate summer so much. <laughs> I just I hate summer. It's too hot. It's it's fast forward. Let's get to autumn. That's my final thought. Agreed. My final thought is that uh, I've been playing Pokemon Unite, and it's not bad. It's pretty fun. Uh, I've heard very good things about it. Uh, my final thought is uh, I also played a little bit of Pokemon Unite, and it is really fun. I think it's a really well-designed MOBA. Uh, mostly I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, a game that I initially hated and then <laughs> learned. You can skip the first expansion for like 11 bucks. And everything is so much better because now you're playing a game that was actually designed in the modern era. So uh, <laughs> definitely recommend doing that. It's fun. Nice. Nice. Uh, Shivam, is there any last things you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to plug? Where could people find you? Oh, yeah. Uh, please check out my podcast, Casual Magic. It comes out every Tuesday. And uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are sold. But uh, as far as final thoughts, uh, the module covers of the land were drawn by original artists from old school D&D. And that makes me happier than I can possibly explain to you. Mm-hmm. They're so pretty. They're so pretty. Uh, the the module covers and the uh, the other showcase style with the um like the monster manual style stuff uh, also had some older D and D artists on it too. Yes. Uh, we we did a lot of cool things with this set, and it's uh, really delightful to see uh, so much of that appreciated by older D and D fans. Uh, and and hopefully, I, I couldn't D&D ask fans. for more. Honestly, like. I mean, there's always things I want, and there's always going to be things like, I'm like, oh, I wish I had blah, 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 but it's so good, and it's so many of the things I want out of D&D. Oh, oh, um, I forgot to mention, you guys put a Tinker Gnome into Forgotten Realm, into AFR. Uh, Oswald Fiddlebender. Did we? Yes, we did. Gnome yeah. uh, from the Icewind Dale games, yes. Yeah. He is a Tinker Gnome, just the Forgotten Realms version, so his stuff doesn't break. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Oh, actually, his stuff does break. That is a big part of his characters. His airship uh, constantly falls it. apart. <laughs> right. Well, then there you go. Um, Oswald Fiddlebender. But what what I what, what I will say though uh, is is please ask for one. The set was so much fun to work on. I would love to work on another one. Ask for another D and D set, please. Behoove you. Oh, all. I am. Oh, I am. Uh, <laughs> um, and and listeners out there, I've. I've asked, uh, you know, you can ask for that thing. And then we here on the podcast will also ask that if you enjoy listening to our little show here, uh, to head over to patreon.com slash LaVorthosCast and uh, help support our show and, and keep us running and keep us uh, making episodes so you can hear people like Shivam come on and tell wonderful stories about wonderful things. And maybe <laughs> one day we'll talk about magic again. Uh, I can't believe when you we have an actual me into magic talking set. for a whole hour. Um, <laughs> But uh, everyone who supports us on Patreon has access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are having a blast learning about the Forgotten Realms. Uh, and we pro- we'll we get back to magic. We're heading to Innistrad. It's very excited. We're going to be on Innistrad in the autumn on Halloween. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, yeah, big excited for the things uh, down, down the road for the rest of this year. So if you want to get into the server before all that happens and get to be around... For more preview season hype and story hype and and watch and just get excited with everybody. We'd love to have you join us. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.